Hey, doll. Hey, doll. I'm your host, Paula. And I'm your host, Cynthia. And we are Dolls Dolls and and Doom. Doom. Okay, Paula. So I thought that because we've been covering this Gabby Petito case since our last episode on her two weeks ago, we've had some new developments. So I just thought we could talk a little bit more about Gabby Petito again today. Before we get into it, though, I did want to make a couple of quick corrections on the episode that we did two weeks ago. So at one point in that episode, I misspoke and I said that Gabby was living in North Point, Florida with Brian and his parents. But the name of that town is actually North Port, Florida. Gabby was originally from Blue Point, New York. I just got those mixed up, so I wanted to correct that. Also in that episode, when I was talking about the police encounter that Brian and Gabby had on August 12th, at one point it sounded like I was implying that Gabby was arrested. I did go on to say a couple of sentences later that Gabby was not arrested because the police were able to find a loophole and they used it to keep from having to make any arrests during that call. But if you were just listening and you weren't really familiar with the timeline, that could have been a little confusing because at first it It sounded like I said she was arrested. So I just wanted to clear those two things up. Like I said, since two weeks ago when we did that episode, more things have come out. And honestly, some of the things that have been revealed in the last two weeks have actually changed how I feel about some of the things, specifically like that 911 call and that body cam footage. More footage has come out and I walked away with it, away from watching it thinking, hmm, I feel a little differently than I did when I saw this the first time, minus this clip here. So it's interesting just how, you know, things change. So, and I will say that's why we generally don't cover cases that are this current. In fact, we've never covered a case this current before. Information is changing daily. So with that, let's go ahead and begin at Gabby's memorial service. Her service was held one week after her body was found. So on September 26th, 2021, Gabby Petito was remembered for her beautiful and exciting zest for life at her memorial service in Long Island. The entire planet knows this woman's name. Her father, Joe Petito, told those in attendance, and she's inspired a lot of women and a lot of men to do what's best for them first. Put yourself first and do it now while you have time. I couldn't be more proud, he said. If there's a relationship that might not be the best for you, leave it now. He also told the mourners, I don't want you guys to be sad. Gabby didn't live that way. That wasn't her way. As a matter of fact, if you knew Gabby, you knew she was always a pretty happy girl. People gravitated toward her. Her nature was always to smile and treat everybody kindly. He spoke of her blue eyes, saying, quote, those ridiculous blue eyes, end quote that kept her from getting in trouble at home when she was growing up. Gabby is the most amazing person I've ever met, he added. He then went on to say, quote, just to be clear, Gabby had four parents. They weren't step-parents. She had four parents who genuinely loved her as if she were their own. And this man is one of them, end quote. He then hugged Gabby's stepfather, James Schmidt. James then spoke and said, quote, 
I spent a good portion of my life working and trying to earn money to provide for our family and for our kids to give them the best life. And Gabby, at 22 years old, helped teach me that you can always make money, but you can't make up for lost time. Gabby loved life and lived her life every single day, every day. She's an example for all of us to live by, to enjoy every moment in this beautiful world as she did, love and give love to all like she did. He spoke of Gabby's Let It Be tattoo, the title of the classic Beatles tune, reading a verse from the song. He said it's okay to mourn for Gabby, it's okay to feel sorrow and pain, but we want to celebrate her and how she lived her life. We want to hold on to those wonderful memories we shared with her because that will be the answer. Let it be. And I just want to say, Paula, that meant a lot to me that Gabby's father, in the middle of this just heart-wrenching, oh-so-intimate moment that he was having, his daughter's funeral, was able to honor and give credit to his ex-wife's new husband, Gabby's stepfather, and say, you know what, he was just as much a parent as I was. And I thought that said a lot about the kind of environment she had been raised in and the kind of people she'd been surrounded with. I thought that was beautiful. Yeah, that takes a strong man to be able to say that in general. Right. My dad always says, there's not a limit of love. You can never have too much love. So you can love your dad with all your heart and you can love your stepdad with all your heart and loving your stepdad doesn't take away from any love that you have for your dad and the same for your kids and stepkids and I just thought that was really beautiful and I was happy to see that because often we don't see that. Right. Whenever there's step parents, there's always a lot of contention and jealousy, jealousy, resentment, exactly, all kinds of different things. I thought this was really beautiful. I agree. Very respectful and very sweet and loving thing to do. Very. How wonderful for Gabby. Yes. That she had that kind of a parenting example. She would have been very touched by, by his words. Right. There was an entire wall at the funeral home that was just lined with photos of Gabby Her urn was in the middle, surrounded by candles. It was actually an empty urn because Gabby's body is still at the coroner's office in Wyoming. She's not been cremated, and her family has not been given any estimated timeline for when her body will be released to them. Have they given any reason why, like, we're not done? I know that we haven't, and we'll touch on it in a little bit, but they have not released autopsy results. They have not released cause of death. Yeah, manner... They've said it's homicide, but they've not released any cause of death or anything like that, even to the family. Yeah, so we're still waiting on a lot of information that, and I can only assume that's why they have not released her. Gabby's service was attended by so many people, over 8,000 people. Holy cow. Now, that was in person, and it was live-streamed. Oh, okay. So a combination, but... Lines started forming outside the funeral home by 11 a.m. And the funeral service didn't even end until 5. So people were lining up for this. Among those who did attend in person were more than 100 firefighters. And they were there to support Gabby's stepdad, James, because he's a, a firefighter. And James said, we do funerals, unfortunately, and we're good at it. And he's speaking of being a firefighter. Right. I've done it throughout my career. I've written eulogies. I've planned these funerals. And not one of them could ever prepare me for this moment. Parents aren't supposed to bury their children. This is not how life is supposed to work. 
she was honored so beautifully with that service. And I think it really speaks to her legacy that so many people, even strangers, felt this connection with her to attend her service, to watch it via live stream. I look at her and I think she really does feel like a daughter to all of us. I look at her photos, I watch her videos, and I can actually see myself in her at 22 years old. She actually kind of reminds me a little bit of me at that age. And I was also thinking this week, look at everything she's missed. Go back to when you're 22 years old Mm -hmm. and then just stop it there. Look at everything you would have missed. This week I was just thinking, wow, look at everything I would have missed. And she's missed it all. And I just, she's just had this beautiful little spirit and the fact that at 22 years old, it's, it's over. And then I look at it from her parents' point of view, because actually that's the season of life I'm in now. I can relate more to them. My oldest son's only a few years younger than Gabby, and I just cannot imagine being in their situation. But to lose a child so young, someone who would have made such an impact on the world, I just can't imagine what her parents must be feeling. So I was listening to the Morbid podcast. They mentioned that Gabby had tagged them in a post and said she had been listening to one of their episodes before she died. And that even like connects us because you know she's a little weirdo just like us yeah, you know it's true crime yeah it just seems extra real to me on september 22nd brian laundry was indicted on fraud charges for illegally using a debit card in the days after gabby was believed to have vanished feds have not said whether that card belonged to gabby The next day, September 23rd, the FBI issued an arrest warrant for Brian, accusing him of bank card fraud. Even though officials have never said it was Gabby's card, the spokesperson for the Petito family said that Brian stole Gabby's credit card and used it to travel home. So it is an assumption we're making, but I think it's probably a correct assumption that it was Gabby's card. I think it makes the most sense because he's got access to her stuff. Right. Obviously, this is a different scenario than I've ever found myself in. But my husband has his own bank account. I have a bank account. We have a shared account. But it would not be completely unheard of me to use his card if somehow I were on a trip and I found myself separated from him and I needed money and I didn't have any. I would absolutely use his card, his account. Oh, yeah, of course. They want to talk to Brian. They don't have enough to bring up charges yet for a homicide, but we don't know cause of death, any of this yet. I believe those things will be pending. I believe that we all probably believe that Brian is responsible for Gabby's death. They're not officially on paper looking for him as a suspect in her death. So I think this bank charge is just a way to get him for something. Right. Interestingly, have you heard that Dwayne Chapman, who you probably better know as Dog the Bounty Hunter. Have you heard that he's now involved in the case? No. Okay. So he told Fox and Friends that his team had handed over materials to the FBI after finding a makeshift campsite in Florida. So I guess he joined the search for Brian while he and his wife were honeymooning not far from Northport, Florida. And he also personally added $10,000 to the reward money being offered for the capture of Brian, which brought the grand total to $180,000. Wow. So Dog the Bounty Hunter had said that he recently received a tip that placed Brian Laundrie's sister Cassie in Fort DeSoto Park, which is the campground where we know that Brian traveled with his parents after returning from his road trip 
alone. And Cassie actually did ultimately end up confirming that she did see Brian on September 6th. But this contradicted her previous statement where she said she had not spoken to Brian since he returned to Florida. You know, when all this first kind of broke, she said, oh, no, I haven't seen him since he got back to Florida. But then later did come out and say, no, you know, when he went on that camping trip, several days before Gabby was even reported missing, you know, he got home. He was home for a few days. Him and his parents went on this, like, five-day camping trip. And Cassie brought her kids out and came and visited him. Cassie told ABC's Good Morning America that the last time she physically saw and spoke to Brian was on September 6th. She shared a photo of her son standing next to Brian while he was camping at Fort DeSoto Park, and this was still five days before Gabby's family reported her missing. Cassie said that we just went for a couple of hours, we ate dinner, we had s'mores around the campfire, and we left. There was nothing peculiar about it. There was no feeling of grand goodbye. She said it was just a regular visit and that she is now frustrated that she didn't pick up on anything else going on. She also said that she doesn't know if her parents are involved in his disappearance, but quote, I think if they are, they should come clean, end quote. What do you think of the parents' involvement? I kind of wonder if they do know something, and I agree, if they do, they should come forward. But I also feel like if they do know something, they will not because they're protecting their son. Right. Please keep in mind, this is all allegedly, I said it two weeks ago, in most of our cases, we only, like, present facts. In this case, because it's current, we're missing a lot of facts, and we're giving some of our opinions. Brian's parents have now reported Brian missing. If he were missing, and they genuinely didn't know where he was, and were worried for his safety, why aren't they, like, begging for his safe return? Why aren't they doing press conferences saying, have you seen my son? Why aren't they offering a reward? My opinion is he came back from this road trip alone without Gabby. He told them what happened or a version of what happened. I think they know that he would be in some trouble if the truth were revealed. My opinion is that they probably are run, baby, run. Like, you know what I mean? Just run kind of thing. And that's not to say that they aren't in their own version of hell right now, because I'm sure they probably love Gabby. But in this scenario, I don't always believe this to be true, but in this scenario, it's feeling very much like blood's thicker than water and their son's coming first. Brian's sister Cassie says she has been cooperating with police. She said she is worried about Brian. She hopes he's okay. She said, I'm angry and I don't know what to think. I would tell my brother to just come forward and to get us out of this horrible mess. Now, Cassie also told protesters who've been staked out outside of her home that her family has been ignoring her following the disappearance of Brian and the news of Gabby's death. When she was asked again if her parents were helping Brian evade authorities, she said, I don't know, and that she hadn't been able to speak with them. She said, quote, I'm in the boat where I'm getting ignored by my family and thrown under the bus by my family's attorney, end quote. Now, the lawyer that Cassie seemed to be referencing is named Steve Bertolino, and he blamed the media. He said, quote, I do not represent Cassie Laundrie. Cassie's comments can only be attributed to the press twisting my words and hers, which were only given to clarify prior mischaracterizations by the press with the hopes of further sensationalizing this tragic story, end quote. So we know Brian's parents told investigators that they last saw him leaving their Northport, Florida home on September 14th with a backpack 
and he told them he was going to the nearby 25,000-acre Carlton Reserve. Police reported that they were given that information on September 17th, three days after he allegedly left. So here's the other thing. If your kid goes missing, do you wait three days to report him missing? If he's actually missing. Truly missing. Right. Um, Investigators have since spent several days searching for Brian at the Carlton Reserve outside of Venice, Florida. Now, the day Cassie Laundrie learned of her brother's disappearance, she informed authorities of the September 6th camping trip, according to an interview she did with ABC. She said, it was not hidden from law enforcement. I have been cooperating with the police since day one. I've been in touch with law enforcement. She also said that she tried to get in touch with Brian, but, quote, the phone went to voicemail, end quote. In late September, Brian's parents released a statement through their attorney saying Chris and Roberta Laundrie do not know where Brian is and were concerned about Brian and hope the FBI can locate him, end quote. The speculation by the public and some in the press that the parents assisted Brian in leaving the family home or in avoiding arrest on a warrant that was issued after Brian had already been missing for several days is just wrong. The statement, which was obtained by multiple media outlets, continued. And amid the public speculation, Cassie Laundrie told ABC she doesn't know what role, if any, her parents may have played in her brother's disappearance. When asked for a response to the ABC interview on Tuesday, attorney Stephen Bertolino, who represents Brian Chris and Roberta Laundry, told CNN, I believe Cassie. Bertolino declined to comment on Cassie Laundry's statement that she doesn't know whether her parents are involved. Bertolino also said no comment when asked if Cassie has been in contact or spoken to her parents. Cassie Laundry told ABC she never saw any signs of domestic violence between her brother and Gabby. She said the body cam videos of officers' encounter with the pair was painful to watch. She said it's definitely painful to see everybody just be upset. It was pretty typical of them to argue and try and take space from each other, but people saying that they saw public domestic violence, I've never seen anything like that from either of them. Now, again, no charges were filed in that August 12th incident, and at officer's suggestion, the couple separated for the night with Brian Laundrie staying at a hotel and Gabby Petito taking the van. It was after that incident that Brian Laundrie flew from Utah to Tampa on August 17th to obtain some items and to empty a storage unit in order to save money as they contemplated extending the road trip. According to Bernalino, now Brian flew back to Utah on August 23rd to rejoin Gabby and Cassie said she wishes her brother had just come to her when he first returned to Florida on September 1st. She said, I really wish he'd come to me that first day with the van because I don't think we would be here, she told ABC. She also said that her brother had previously taken trips for up to five days on the Appalachian Trail. She said, I'd say Brian is a mediocre survivalist. It wouldn't surprise me if he could last out there a very long time, but also I don't think anything would surprise me at this point. She said, if the FBI finds him in Timbuktu, I'd be like, all right, well, that's where he is. I've got nothing. I hope my brother is alive because I want answers just as much as everybody else, she told ABC. I've always said silence speaks volumes. Absolutely. Now, silence also cannot be misquoted. I've heard that somewhere. I don't remember where. I don't know that I believe it's true because here we are. 
explaining what his silence means. Mm -hmm. Here I am saying he's quiet. He hasn't said what's happening. So obviously he appears to be guilty. So I am kind of interpreting what his silence means. I think we all are. Right. So while we're on the subject of he looks freaking guilty of sin, it reminds me of the Faith Hedgepeth case. So I, you'll probably remember, and I want to cover this one eventually. It's been covered widely because it's just one of those really bizarre cases. There's been a recent break in it. And that recent break really made me go, oh my gosh, have we had it wrong the whole time? Young, she's in college. She has a roommate. The apartment was weird. It was like they were literally like sharing a room, like a bedroom. The roommate comes home. They've been out of the club. The roommate gets sick, so they come home early. Then once they're home, the roommate goes back out, which, okay, suspect because you came home sick. So why are you going back out? When she goes back out, she leaves the door unlocked. Then, of course, somebody comes in in the middle of the night while her roommate, Faith, is sleeping and kills her. There's a weird note left. There is a pocket dial coming from Faith's phone where there's like a lot of talking in the background and like some forensic person broke down this phone call and we're literally pretty much listening to her being murdered and, the, and they're able to like pick out, oh, this guy's voice. I hear this guy's voice and I hear this name and it was the roommate's name and then I hear this and then I hear Faith saying, no, please don't hurt me. And then we have an ex-boyfriend who was abusive. All this to say, here's this girl that gets murdered. And pretty much everybody in her life looks really good for it, right? Could be the roommate. She's really suspect. Could be the ex-boyfriend. Really suspect. But it obviously is one of them, right? Right. Obviously, one of these people who everything circumstantial points to is responsible for Faith's death. Well, just in the last month, we get a DNA hit. It's some guy who was never even mentioned. Never even in the story. It's his DNA. He's probably the guy for it. So all that to say, here we have all of these smoking guns. And they are. They're smoking guns. And it was almost definitely the roommate working with the ex-boyfriend with these two guys. And it was none of them. So that's a perfect example of how you can look at a scenario. It's obvious. And in reality, it's none of what you actually thought it was. Yeah. It's, it's somebody all completely circumstantial. Yeah. So here we are saying, clearly, Brian killed her. What if it's not? We don't know anything. So I just thought that was interesting. Okay, so Gabby's family, along with the family attorney and spokesperson, all sat down for a 30-minute interview with Dr. Phil McGraw for his show. This was the parents' first interview together since officials announced that Gabby's death was a homicide. And Gabby's family told Dr. Phil that they repeatedly texted and called the Laundry family in the wake of Gabby's disappearance but all of those texts, all of those calls went unanswered. And Gabby's father, Joe, said one of the text messages said, I'm going to call the police, just letting you know because we have no idea. He then told Dr. Phil that a normal parent, when you text someone that you're going to call the cops because you can't find your child, they would reply. But there was no response, nothing. That's just strange, you know? Yeah. So we know Gabby's body was found on September 19th. It was announced by the Teton County Coroner, Dr. Brent Blue, on September 21st that Gabby was the victim of a homicide. Two weeks later, very well-renowned forensic pathologist Dr. Michael Baden told Fox News that the FBI's decision to withhold her remains from her family was, quote, very unusual, end quote, as was the agency's decision not to release the cause of her death when the manor was announced. I wonder whose decision that was to not give that information to her parents. I don't know. 
But it's strange that even her family does not know the cause of her death. Yeah, still. Right. Brett Tolman also said Brian Laundrie's parents, regarding them, legally, there is a very big difference between just staying silent and answering questions of law enforcement who are trying to investigate the whereabouts of a known person. So the fact that they may not have given enough information when they knew it, or the fact that when they were asked directly if they knew the whereabouts of Brian, those are tricky questions. And if they do know the truth and they refuse to give that to law enforcement, that's different than just staying silent. Yeah, I agree. So they may end up in some kind of legal trouble. We don't know. If it can be proven that they knew more than they said and they, they withheld it. It's just strange, I think, that how from the very beginning that whole family has just remained so quiet. Yeah. You would think that they would care. Yeah. But when you're trying to protect someone, sometimes that just takes precedence, I think. So Gabby's family also said to Dr. Phil that they believe that Brian Laundrie is out there hiding somewhere. And when Dr. Phil asked why they believed that, Joe said, because he's a coward, flat out. I would use some other words, but I can't use them on your show. (laughs) That's funny. Anyone who lived in that house is a coward, he said, referencing the laundry home and Brian's parents, Chris and Roberta. He said they don't know how to stand up for their actions. And as kind of like a final slap in the face to the laundry family, I think, a memorial has been set up for Gabby at Brian's home. Flowers and cards and teddy bears and signs and all of these things are being left for Gabby at Brian's home. So like in his front yard? Yeah. Okay. It's kind of like a... Like, a, you don't matter, but she does. Yeah, slap in the face. But if she lived with him, it does make more sense. Did they live together? That's true. You know what? Because weren't they engaged yes, at yes, one yes, point? Yes, yes, You know what? That's true. I didn't think of that. It makes sense to me to leave it at their home. I understand the site of the accident, but not everyone can get to the accident site. Right. Plus, we also don't know where the actual accident site is. Right. So at her home makes sense. That is a really brilliant point. Like if they live separately, I did not think of that. Yeah, if they live separately, then it would be like, that's weird. And yeah, slap in the face. But if she lived with him in the same house, then yeah. it makes more sense. Yeah, they did. I mean, they lived with his parents. But yes, they okay. did. So yeah, okay, you're right. See, I was looking at it as like a, we love Gabby. You killed her, allegedly. So we're going to leave all this stuff here. So you have to look at it every day. Right. Memorializing or honoring her is a slap in the face, but when they've been so silent on it and when right. they've done like nothing to and help. They're, and they're under suspicion. Right. And then we're leaving everything in her your front yard. I told you in the beginning that a few things had been released that kind of changed my opinion from even two weeks ago. I rewatched that body cam footage. Okay. Of, you know, the August 12th police interaction. Yeah. So I feel like two weeks ago I came across very much like, well, Gabby was the instigator. If anybody was arrested, it would have been Gabby. Watching it again, I was able to see it's not so black and white. So again, physically, she seemed to be a little bit more of the instigator. But emotionally, she was a wreck. She was crying the whole time. He was so calm and cool. Even interrupting the police. Like, the police, I felt like, you know, they were friendly and they were like, hey, man, we know what it's like. I've been married for so-and-so years. And, like, you're going to have tiffs or whatever. And instead of just, like, shutting up and letting the police just talk, he would, like, interrupt the police and be like, yeah, yeah, I mean. And I thought, hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, bold move. Yeah, interesting. I think I would just be quiet and, like, let them say whatever they wanted to say. Not speak until you're spoken to. Right. Um, Another thing early on in that video And I missed this the first time. Otherwise, I would have spoke to it. She's trying to get her social media. She's trying to make this her, like, her gig. Posting all the time. Yeah. And Brian told her she couldn't do it. 
Well, that's controlling. Oh, man, that just struck a chord with me. I've been in that relationship. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Where, you know, this person takes everything about you that makes you vivacious and, and and tells you you can't. And looking back now, it's like, oh, this person was really jealous. Yeah. But at the time, you think, man, if this person who loves me, supposedly, more than anybody else, is telling me, you can't do this, you can't do that, I must really not be able to do this kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, I must be doing something wrong. Right. I should stop. You know, when we said we were going to start this podcast, I've got nothing but support from my husband. That would not have been the case in a previous relationship. Same. Same. <laughs> you know? And so I, I related to that because I was like, poor Gabby, she's trying to she's trying to build something. And he's telling her she can't do it. That's a form of, at the very least, lack of support. Right. Worst case, abuse, controlling. Yeah. But the other thing is he is very aggressively pro-Earth. I don't know how to say it. I say hippie dippy Environmentalist? Yes. But like to the point where like, and I don't have any of his direct quotes here, but so I'm just paraphrasing like, oh my gosh, the world is so amazing. Oh, this national park is so amazing. These mountains are so amazing. Too bad the scum of the earth humans have to come and inhabit it and ruin everything. You're the most evil person in the world if you use water bottles, which I will say like water bottles are not good for the earth. I try not to use them. But he was almost, like, hateful about it. Yeah. His message, which was probably really good, hey, let's save this earth, we only get one, was lost in his delivery. Gotcha. He comes across as, like, really judgmental and arrogant. And I think, again, that says something about his personality because she comes across as just the most adorable little happy happy little spirit. Right. And so it's just interesting, the juxtaposition between the two. Yeah. The other thing, this really made me stop and think, okay, what would I do in this situation? So apparently leading up to this fight during this argument that ended up having the police called on them, he locked her out of the van. Now keep in mind, they're across the country. Yeah. They live in Florida. They're in Utah. So this van is their home. Right. And he locks her out. And I have to tell you, if my husband locked me out and acted like they were going to leave me anywhere, let alone the middle of... Like Nowhere. Five, yeah, five states away. Oh, no. We're going to have a problem. A big one. A big problem. And again, not to get sexist, but let's just be honest. Oftentimes, women are more physically vulnerable. You're going to lock a little 100-pound girl out of a car and act like you're going to leave her in the middle of nowhere? No. Yeah, that's not okay on any level. Right. I just wanted to add those things in because I either wasn't aware of them. You know, at first, the first time I saw it, I was like, well, it kind of looks like she's the initiator of some of this and now I'm like no he's a jerk you know no he's like kind of a a total creep what is she supposed to do again maybe not get physical but like you lock me out of my house was this a really dysfunctional controlling abusive relationship and I just didn't see it when I watched it originally two weeks ago that's the big thing and if so that's bad on me so this is me saying you know what upon further reflection watching it again I think I've changed my mind a little bit Now, I don't know what could have been done differently. I really don't. I don't know if they both should have been arrested because, again, she was the one who seemed to get physical. I don't know if anything should have been done differently, but I did walk away thinking, no, this girl has been victimized in some ways. Just maybe not the most obvious. Right. 
And that's the thing with cases that are new. We're not going to have all the facts. Right. They are going to slowly unfold. Oh, and by the way, this was the kind of person he was in the relationship. He was controlling. Don't do this. Don't do that. Right. Oh, he locked her out of the van. He gave her the impression that he was going to take off without her. Right. None of that is okay for any reason. This stuff may not be true. He may be the nicest guy in the world. Right. And if all of that is true, he's locking her out of her home and acting like he's going to leave her in the middle of nowhere. That, for me, is a big one. Like, that would be that's the end dangerous. of the relationship for me. That's danger. I'd find the nearest phone, call my family, call my friends, be like, you need to come get me because this is my situation and this is over. Right. Because to me, that's like a line you don't cross. Absolutely. Because now you're putting somebody in physical danger. So that's the latest update. We could go on for another five episodes just talk, breaking down everything. I mean, it's so interesting how a YouTube couple was the ones who discovered Gabby's van, which ultimately helped lead to the discovery of her body. I mean, there's so much to uncover here. We'll probably leave it with this episode just because, again, we don't have all the information. Maybe after everything completely unfolds, we can do like a full episode with less opinion, just full facts. But I did feel like we needed at least one more update to kind of bring things more current. Our prayers and thoughts are with Gabby Petito's family. And I hope we get some answers very soon. Absolutely. So you know what else is really cool, Paula? What? We are coming up on our one-year anniversary. That's right. That's right. Our very first episode was last October 2020. So here we are a year later. We have grown so much and we've had so much fun. I think we've improved and we have fans. We have fans. <laughs> we even have some haters, which makes me so excited because after I get past the initial hurt feelings, I realize that that's huge because it means we've made it. You yeah. know, when a perfect stranger takes the time to listen to you and then write a nasty review about you. Yeah, that takes time and effort. <laughs> we've made it. <laughs> that's awesome. So to celebrate our one-year anniversary, we are releasing our very first pieces of merchandise, something Paula and I are both very excited about. We have our very own line of candles with Pies Abilities, which is a business that we've partnered with. And before they were a candle company, they were actually a small batch pie bakery. But when the pandemic hit, they lost many of their special event and catering contracts and they had to close their doors. But then they reimagined all of their wonderful baked goods that they used to make as a bakery. And that is when Pies Abilities Candle Company was born. And it's been their mission from the beginning to create meaningful employment opportunities for individuals with disabilities. And they donate 5% of every candle sold to nonprofit organizations that support and empower individuals with disabilities. I think we are going to have two scents. The first is Walk in a Graveyard, which is like woodsy and earthy. And, and then the other one is called Just Desserts. And they all come in a little black tin that looks like a little cauldron. And they have our logo on them. And they're super, super cute. So stay tuned for more details on how to purchase. They are being created right now. We're going to have them. We're going to have a very limited supply. And we're going to have a giveaway in honor of our one-year anniversary. So stay tuned for more information on that. We are super, super excited. So we wanted to mention that. We'll have more details next week. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Be sure to check out our website for pictures and links corresponding to each episode at dollsanddoom.com. Follow us on social media, leave a comment, and stay alive so you don't end up on the wrong side of the grass. Bye! Bye.